it was very disruptive. I, I think it is going to be a difference maker in how we do our jobs, not just from a content point of view, but also workflow, which uh, I think is being overlooked right now, but we'll eventually get to in a big way. In the world of technology, heroes are everywhere. They're overcoming disruption, delivering sustainable outcomes, and fearlessly forging the future to solve what's next. Join me, Ed McNamara, as we meet the people and businesses driving change in our constantly disruptive world. This is Innovation Heroes, a podcast brought to you by SHI. Every day, we hear about another groundbreaking development in the world of generative AI, promising to turn entire industries upside down and maybe make yet another human career obsolete. But that's not exactly how our next guest sees it. Greg Batuski is president and founder of Gregory FCA, an award-winning public relations firm that's been around for more than three decades. Greg isn't just happy to see AI making headlines. He's been getting ready for it for the last three years, and he couldn't be more excited about the future of his craft. I've had the pleasure of working directly with Greg for years. SHI is one of his clients. So I was definitely intrigued when I saw Greg posting about Gen AI on LinkedIn and what he had to say about it. From creating in-house tools and processes that take advantage of all these new tools to launching an amazing and free press release writing app, Gregory FCA is already positioning itself as a leader in AI-powered public relations. I couldn't be more excited to be speaking with Greg to learn all about this fascinating journey. Greg Batuski, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Ed. I'm excited to talk about generative AI. So you ask the questions, and I will answer them from our studios here outside of Philadelphia. Well, th and thank you for sitting there patiently while I said a bunch of nice things about you, so I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know who you were talking about there for a little, and then I kind of pieced it together. So. I, I hear it's not easy. Uh, one day, maybe I'll experience that myself. But <laughs> before we dive into AI, tell us a little bit about the history of Gregory FCA. You weren't always an AI-powered firm, because nobody was. Um, you know, so just give us a little bit of your history and, and how we got here. Sure, Ed. You know, it goes way back to the 1980s. I was a writer for business magazines. I was a contributing editor for uh, Success Magazine. My work appeared in Inc. and Forbes Magazine. And then 1990, I transformed myself and did PR because writing was pretty uh, difficult, which uh, we'll talk about here in a second. And I wanted to be more involved with people than just my own mind and thoughts. And so for the Next foreseeable future, I worked hard to help other people learn to write, and that was very frustrating. Uh, writing is that which is just beyond most of us, and even good writers struggle to write well, to, to write in a way that meets expectation. And I'd always give seminars and webinars, and, and I'd try to make them energetic and fun, and everyone would enjoy them, and then we'd get back together, and someone would say, but I still can't write well. So um, about three years ago, through this mission, I was approached by somebody who said, who challenged me and said, I bet you I can digitize the writing process that you use. And I said, I bet you can't. And so we started this long progression where we, in an analog world, where we came up with different kinds of content and all the questions that we ask behind it. Little did we know we were writing prompts even back then. Mm. And we put them in a database. And then in December of 2022, a miracle happened. The fourth wave of technology that I've seen, which started with the laptop computer and then uh, the, the internet and then smartphones and now generative AI. And I, I saw the first news release written by 
uh, a generative AI engine. And Ed, I giggled when it appeared on my screen because I really believed this was the tool that I could help others become better communicators, which, you know, at the heart of all communications is this need to improve understanding. And if this can help human beings understand one another better, I think it's a force for good and I'm excited about it. So it, it, it's interesting. Um, the, the takeaway from that being a, an old uh, newspaper writer myself is uh, teaching writing is frustrating, is what you said. And uh, you kind of you, you want to rely on somebody else to do it. And whether that was a professor who did their job before they got to you or whether it's AI now, you don't care, right? Well, writing is really – I really believe that it takes hours and hours of practice to become a really skilled writer. You have to condition your neuropathways. I believe that. And those that want to go through that uh, that that uh, pain can do it. And, and I will say I had to do it because I was a freelance writer. I had to support my family. But most people uh, don't want to subject themselves to that. And, and I can understand why. So, you know, to me, this is kind of a tool like an architect can use a computer or a calculator instead of a slide rule. And uh, this gives you command over that. Um, I really analogize it to the first automobiles when the driver would wear goggles and gloves and yeah. smocks because he had or he or she had to get out and fix the carburetor every so many miles. And I spent a lot of time fixing carburetors, which are words and syntax and grammar. And wow, it's pretty exciting to be able to really focus on the destination, getting to a great destination instead of worrying about fiddling with the words and the syntax and the grammar and the carburetor. Right. So you've been you've been in you know PR for you know th three decades plus. Um, I've been with SHI in the kind of the reselling world for for twenty five years. Like in in our industry, like there's always this latest development every five or eight years. We're like, well, this is the end of solution providers, or this is the end of the VAR, or whatever. And I'm thinking, you know, all of the years that you've been in PR, like how many times has a new technology come out and it says, well, this is the end of for PR firms, right? I mean, you, you've had to have seen this before. Well, certainly. I mean, when when major media became became splintered, right? When the internet came along, and it used to be there were three different TV networks, and if you wanted to reach ninety percent of the American public, you would run one ad at at six forty five Eastern Standard Time, mm -hmm. the same time on CBS, ABC, and NBC News, and you would reach ninety percent. And then it got splintered, and I was told. Your, your fate is sealed, Ed. You're done. I was told, you're done, Greg. Um, you know, you don't have these mass markets anymore. And in reality, it just created many more channels and many more user-generated opportunities. And then with blogging, I was told, that's, that's the end of you all because that will carry the story. And why would we need PR firms if we can write it ourselves and publish it? And that just created more opportunities and more work for PR firms. So... I think this does this is more disruptive I think than both of those but I think I heard somebody say recently it's going to free time and it's up to us to determine how we want to fill that time mm -hmm. if we want to fill that time watching Netflix and playing uh, video games we can do it <laughs> but if we want to spend our time mastering new skills and adding to the creative base for our clients or our, or our enterprises I think that's going to be available to us too and some of us will go that route I know I'm excited to go that route and provide even more value. Yeah, I'm still looking for that day when the PC was going to give us all, you know, eight-hour work weeks and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. uh, 
I'm sure it's right around the corner. It never happened, Ed. I don't know. <laughs> um, in the press release for Write Release, which is itself an AI-powered press release tool, you were quoted as saying the following, quote, this, the disruption is upon us. The risk to our industry, however, is that these AI tools will be developed by tech companies and not PR people. So first of all, can we assume you used AI to write that release? And uh, <laughs> did it come up with that catchy pullout quote? Yes, I did. And I will tell you, the first time I used three years ago, two years ago, at our annual meeting, a AI tool to write a news release, it hallucinated so much that it put in the news release that we had a mascot that was a frog, which <laughs> it just made up. It, but even that, I saw opportunity in. And then when we got to the point where we could really master how you write news release using it, um, it was very disruptive. I, I think it is going to be a difference maker in how we do our jobs, not just from a content point of view, but also workflow, which uh, I think is being overlooked right now, but we'll eventually get to in a big way. What is your mascot, by the way? It's uh, I think I think it's a bearded uh, uh, communications professional for a, a technology reseller, if I'm not mistaken. Oh man, there's <laughs> there's tons of those. They're gonna. That's not a differentiator. I'm telling you. <laughs> I think it has to be a Rutgers grad too to actually qualify. If okay, I'm not well sure. I'm out because I went to Stockton. Okay, so. all, right. <laughs> all right. Um, all jokes aside, though, why why do you feel it's important um, disruption in PR? is done by PR people and not tech outsiders. Like, why do you want to disrupt yourself and not be disrupted by somebody else? Well, and we do have, you know, tech providers to us. They're called PRMs, public relations uh, management systems. And they're so awkward and they don't really fit the workflow of PR. Most of them are da media databases, really not much more. Um, and so it doesn't really fit the way we work. We, we tend to work across platforms. You'll be checking Twitter for... Uh, a little bit to see what's breaking in the news, and then maybe you'll go to a to a um, database and find some uh, media, and then maybe you'll go to Google. I mean, you're uh, it's really hard to stay in one ecosystem as far as CRM for PR people, and that's not really seen by the tech providers. They're so focused on the way it's been done that they haven't really looked into the opportunities to bring us actual tools that increase our productivity and efficiency. Um, outside of content, really. They're not looking to the long game. And some of it's backwards so, uh, in the way that it works for PR people. For instance, one creates a media pitch uh, before it knows who the audience is. And mm. that's exactly opposite of how communications work. I mean, the first thing you should do is know your, know your audience. So um, I think it's more important that we as communicators figure out what works for us and put in place those uh, skins and overlays with major AI engines that'll help us do our work more efficiently and increase, increase the quality and the throughput for clients. So I know you've been spotting this trend for a while now. I mean, you guys support technology companies, so you guys are always up on, um, you know, what the latest and greatest is. But tell us when you started to take AI seriously and then what you did about it. Well, about five years ago, I started working with an with a AI company. I was really intrigued by it. And then we kind of all got distracted by crypto and blockchain. And uh, that became the shiny new thing. But really, what excited me was three years ago when I started to work with, with a technologist and an and a, and a engineer to try to figure out how to create tools that would allow us to really 
uncork our productivity, our content creation, and our brainstorming. So that's what I got really excited about it and really focused on it. And then I just started to consume everything I could on Twitter, basically, because there is no textbook or coursework for this about what was coming and how it was coming. And then when when OpenAI released ChatGPT, it really, I think people need to understand there was, there was just a, a, a whole alignment of the stars, right? We had enough bandwidth, we had enough processing power, and we had the algorithms that were, all came together at once. You know, the internet took much longer to uh, adopt. And one of the reasons, when you're my age, you know why, because <laughs> in 1998, it took about three minutes to download an MP3, right? And then right. you weren't sure if you were getting the right one because the music uh, publishers were screwing with you. So you'd download it, and it'd be a blaring trumpet the whole time, and you thought you were getting Queen, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, there were real impediments to adoption that needed more bandwidth. But I think ChatGPT and Bard and Bing were released at a time when the infrastructure of technology was such that it was immediate. And I analogize it really to the first time you use a remote card door opener. Like, you're never not going to use it. It's, it's just too available, too right. easy, and too understandable to give it up. You said you were distracted by crypto and blockchain and maybe even lost some time to that. But blockchain still, you know, widely, widely used and as popular as ever. But is it because for you, um, the, the, the AI has a bit more of a, of a practical application than, than blockchain does? Well, you're dead on. And I would say this, like uh, blockchain obviously has real long-term implications. And it's going to have long-term applications in AI when, when fakes can be made so easily, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the authenticity on the blockchain is maybe going to become the linchpin to really have a user case, a really strong blockchain user case right there. But um, I think I always said, I think it's great. I think it's a phenomenal technology. I don't think I'm going to be writing my contracts on blockchain, right, right. on Ethereum. I just, it's, it's, it's great. It's going to impact some markets dramatically, but it's not going to mark, market all audiences. So yesterday I go home, my wife's, a clinical dietitian. She's in private practice, and she's writing meal plans on ChatGPT for her clients. I mean, that's pretty insidious. All of a sudden, I mean, when it's when it's down to you know everybody. And my wife doesn't work in technology, and she's a consult. She's a uh, she's a therapist on on and a consultant on nutrition and diet. I mean, that that really is a quick penetration. But in that in that essence, she might be more of a moderator than a writer, right? Like because she's taking all of this information from from elsewhere that's 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 coming, you know, that's being built from you know, millions of millions of um, points of data. But she's still got to moderate that before it actually becomes practical in some way, right? That's right. And for her, the he the heavy lift is on Google. If you go to find different recipes, it's all dictated by SEO. So if you look at a mm. recipe on Google. Whoever's authoring that will put a long story over top of it of how they got this recipe from their grandmother and it was handed down when really you just want to know how many <laughs> eggs you're going to add, right? Like, can you eat eggs or not? Right. And, and so because of that, uh, the for her, Google has become very difficult to find effective nutrition information. And ChatGPT, seemed, it delivers it. In context, and I think that's an important conversation to have because when you do research on 
uh, as you know, part of our business is financial services. And if, if you type in, when can I retire? How much money do I need to retire? On Google, the first five, six hits are sponsored hits, which have you put in your personal information, and then it ends with, uh, it ends with, we'll have an advisor call you. It's kind of yeah. like the uh, um, Christmas story with uh, eat, uh, drink your Ovaltine. You're like, damn, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want this, right? And Chat GPT and Bing and Bard, they put it in, in, in context for you, and they do away with all that um, uh, static friction, and they let you really, really uh, focus on what the narrative is, and then you can be a moderator. You can be the oversight of the information, and that's part of what I see happening. We're going from an age of information to maybe an age of wisdom and and intelligence, where we moderate these machine things in a way that are accurate and ethical and and, uh, more approachable. I I know a few people, you mentioned chat. GPT a couple of times, um, and some of the reactions are are mixed. Um, and, and there's also people that have you know agendas. But as somebody who's really you know a, a proponent here, you know, what are you learning? Like, what are some best practices, and and maybe what are some big mistakes and misconceptions in day to day use? Well, I use three engines. You know, I use Bard, ChatGPT, and I use Bing. Bard, I don't find as elegant in the final result as ChatGPT four. One of the big things. I'll tell anybody that you need to pay the $20 an hour uh, a, a month and get the premium, the plus, chat GPT-4 plus, because it's so much better at reasoning than 3.5 is. And Bing is a good resource for uh, finding the citations. When you do a prompt on Bing, it will actually list where it's getting the information, which allows you to go in and say, oh, you know, this is the Wall Street Journal, and this is Joe's blog, so I'm going to give more credibility. So that's number one, you know, pay the 20 bucks a month. Secondly, really learn how to write prompts. A lot of people come back to me, and they say, "It's what are you, a magician? You do this, and you make it look so easy. And when I look at their prompts, they're too generalized, and they get back very general high school or freshman college type essays instead of what they're looking for. And I've I really worked with my staff to understand how to construct a prompt. I just came out of a session before this with one of our vice presidents, and and some of the work he was showing me was mind-blowing, and he really focused on how you interface with the machine to get what you want. And he understands where you want to go, right? He understands what the end product was. So when he sets it up, he's always tilting it towards that. And he'll push the machine. He'll come back and he'll say, do better or uh, include these stats now or uh, cut paragraph two and replace it with this thought. So, you know, getting used to doing it. And for me, it was always a joy. I mean, this is like playing a video game for me. I'll spend a Sunday morning lost in, in, in generative AI, just seeing what crazy things I can produce because studies show that 65% of us believe that we have more creativity than we can express. And and I'm certainly in that crowd. And so some of the generative AI, it really uh, provides us a safe place to try ideas where, you know, you're not going to have Kevin from Shark Tank, Mr. Wonderful, voting you down. (laughs) And and you're going to be able to experiment and you're going to be able to loosen uh, your mind and create great ideas. 
that that other thirty five percent. I just don't even want to meet those people. To be honest <laughs> with you, I mean, come on, you know, <laughs> they they know it all already. You know, I, I guess, or maybe like Spielberg <laughs> has done like like I'm done. I've gotten all my ideas out there. I'm just gonna like lay on a beach. Who knows? The rare exception, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, how have you managed to build AI into the culture and processes at, at Gregory FCA? I mean, are are your writers competing with AI now instead of each other? Is that a nice break from the norm? You know, <laughs> I, I well, one of the things, and I think it's important is that it came from the top, right? Uh, it's really hard mm. to do this in the bottom up. This isn't, I don't know if you remember this craze, Ed, the bring your device to work oh, uh, yeah. a, a couple years ago, 10 years ago, right. when smartphones and social media, if you allow young people to bring generative AI into the workplace without a lot of schooling and training, there's risk involved with that. So, with myself, I, I have taken it on the mantle of being the so-called internal uh, expert on generative AI to write the policy and then to socialize it within the firm and to do the training. Right now, I'm going back to every vice president. So now, what what are you doing with it? And mm -hmm. some of them say, I haven't gotten to it yet. I'm saying, well, that's an issue we got to work on. And then some of them are coming forth with unbelievable approaches. And then I'm sharing with everybody within the firm, things that we're all learning together and putting it all together, which really opens up people's minds. When they see how somebody who does their exact same job, maybe in a different vertical, is using it, using it for instance, to create a blog post or to create a media pitch or to create a haiku. Yesterday, um, we represent one of the country's leading uh, uh, behavioral health uh, centers and they want to, uh, were competing to win their social media and we came up with a series of haikus that could be almost memes about mm. helping their helping potential patients and they were spectacular and when people see that to be created um in a, in a, in, a, in an exchange with a machine it's pretty eye-opening how receptive have your clients been? Uh, do you think any of them have been turned off or worse? Do they, do they say, well, you know, it, it, what do I need you guys for if, uh, if I, I have the, you know, access to this same tool? Do they understand all that goes into it? I think, I think there's going to be some who master it. And to them, you know, if you can do it better than me, uh, you should be doing it, right? <laughs> right. But I think for the most part, uh, it's going to be a unique skill set and they're going to be reliant on people who can – who can uh, sh uh, who can actually perform the magic with the prompts, and then there's going to be an expectation of more throughput and and more creativity and originality, which will really drive demand for it. So, yeah. in fact, you know, we're going any new client. We've included a new clause in our contracts, and to date, we've had absolutely no objections at all to that clause, where we where we tell them we use ChatGPT. This is what we or Generative AI. This is the steps we take to assure copyright, uh, uh, originality, security, and if if you don't want us to use it, we won't. But you have to tell us. Yeah, we're we're have a project internally where um, we're 
trying to do take take some of the knowledge that's accumulated on uh, software volume licensing and IT asset management. And uh, luckily, uh, I don't have nearly as competitive a field as you guys are dealing with because I don't don't think I don't know how many people are going to be pouring uh, the 10,000 hours into into that. So uh, I think we're we're good there. But from a long term term trends perspective, um, you know, we talked about like blockchain which you evaluated and then decided hey like it's just it it's it's got great uses for everybody else but is there a chance that all this extreme is extremely overhyped you know are these gen ai tools the next nft or the you know or 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 something that was kind of like you know um very recently in the conversation and then not discussed anymore uh to the contrary i think it's going to be adapted and adopted very widely um, I think it's going to really change a lot of the ways we work. And um, I think it's not being overhyped. It could be underhyped, right? I mean, how could you overhype the Internet? Uh, right. And I, and I see that to be the same thing here. Um, uh, in all, I think it's going to radically change a lot of how we do things and the way we approach things. And I think I've been talking a lot about the LeBron syndrome, right, that – it could be, it could lead to 20% of us generate 80% of all opportunity, and the 20% mm-hmm. will know how to use this tool. I was asked by a reporter yesterday, you know, how would you explain what these are, what generative AI is? And I said, imagine you have five interns, and each one of them has a different skill set. Like, one is your creative person. I mean, he's just a 21-year-old ball of energy lots of ideas. The other is your research associate, and she's got like an MBA, and she's your intern, and she's going to go out, and she's going to pull out incredible little facts, right? The next is your uh, visual uh, intern, and he or she can create unbelievable images using chat GPT. And the next one is your brainstorming uh, genius, and they know how to use chat GPT in a group setting to, or, or generative AI in a way to pull out and make disparate connections that you would never imagine. Right. And you'll turn to each of them for different things. Um, and I think that's what it's going to be in the future. These will be personal productivity assistance, and those who really want to live in this world will, will have a chance to emerge as LeBrons, the 20% who see 80% of all opportunity. And in terms of who's going to live in this world, as you said, you, you gave some advice on LinkedIn recently, um, and you said don't hire a prompt engineer, hire an English major. You know what do you what do you mean by that? I mean for the content side, if you understand the basics of communication, if you understand that you need to explain who the audience is, you need to to meet an audience where they live, even down to the type of uh, buzzwords you use, cliches. I mean. It's appropriate to use cliches or buzzwords in technology because that's a shorthand and it economizes understanding. People know what this means. We wouldn't be able to speak otherwise. It's that's how we right. communicate with one another. That's right. So you have to – if you understand that and you understand how to take that car, that the real, the real initiative here is to get to a great vacation and not fix the carburetor. And, you know, sometimes – when you say engineer, they're, they're down there fixing the carburetors. Right. And what, what an English major might be able to do better, and I just walked out of a meeting that confirmed this, is actually drive the machine and get it to where you want to get it and to have unique thoughts and interesting conversations 
and to really achieve the end goal of all communications, which is spur understanding among people. Yeah, and from a comms perspective, I mean, we're we're all just you know kind of you know post Shakespeare. We're we're kind of recreating some things, but it's those original connections that haven't been made before for for a long time is probably going to require some humor interaction. I mean, w- w- would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And then it does some amazing things, and I'll give you a quick little <laughs> anecdote. Um, before it clamped down on using generative AI engines to do tests. I did run it through a test, and it's called, I think, the Disassociate Task Test or something like that. And what it is is 10 words that you have four minutes to give 10 words that are unrelated, that they don't appear often together in the English language. Now, wow. if, you, if you think about this, it's opposite of what you believe this algorithm does. Mm-hmm. What, what the algorithms do is, is come up with words that appear close to each other often, word clusters, tokens, as they call them in in uh, the, the the world of generative AI. So I wanted to see how, and this is supposed to be a measure of creativity. So if you write word number one, strawberry, word number two, anchor, well, they don't appear often together. But if three, you, you include farm, well, uh, you lose because strawberries are grown on farms, right? So you have to remember as you go through this. Um, the, the average human being scores 86 on that, and chat GPT scored nine. Uh, scored 90 let me 76 the average human being scores 76 chat gpt scored 87 i believe on that mm. test and it was a, a so that shows you it has the ability to bring disparate thoughts and bring them together and i've tried this i've i gave it a task um i gave it a task to come up with a new product based on retirement planning and virtual gog virtual reality goggles and it came up with something called vtirement experience your retirement today through a virtual experience and it actually gave me the marketing pitches for that product now that's pretty exciting right and that's something that maybe somebody could get to but maybe not right it it those words you were putting together, it sounds like, you know, Robin Williams' free association routines up there. I mean, he, he's probably the only one that scored higher on, on yeah, that test you were talking that's about. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and then I just two, – two more questions for you. Um, you know, what are the biggest ways you see Gen AI impacting careers of, of people who, you know, are already, you know, like, like aren't just, you know, new on the scene and have, and have been, you know, have been in, in, in position for – you know, 10, 15, 20 plus years, which I know a lot of your staff has, you know. Um, so it, it's, I think we we generally, I tend to, I don't, for whatever reason, I tend to think younger when I'm thinking about like, you know, getting writers, you know, up in and in, 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 in helping them with this tool. But like, what does that mean to the to the talent pool in the kind of in the in, in mid-career and, and mid, mid uh, kind of talent pool there? Like how are, how are they, you know, particularly um, going to be affected by this? Well, it's an interesting question, right? And some studies say those jobs that are going to be most impacted are the ones that are highest paid, best educated, and, and, and uh, most creative. That mm-hmm. sounds like PR to me, right? So <laughs> I, this is the message I give to everyone. Look, we're in a race, mm-hmm. and we have to adopt these new technologies. we got to come out on the 20%, seeing 80% of the opportunities. We need to work together to gain these skills. And I'm not just saying this to get ahead here at Gregory FCA. Like I, I would love all you guys, all of you, to work here for the rest of your lives. But mm-hmm. I want to make a more productive career for you. 
And this is the best tool I have seen since the internet to make a more productive career for you. And I can do more for you to achieve your career goals, working together to master these tools than anything I've ever seen. And my greatest gift to you would be to help you become a, a more thoughtful communicator, something I didn't have within me <laughs> six months ago before right. it was launched. So I'm going to do everything in my power as somebody who's with somebody who has been here a long time to help them right open their minds and see this and really use it not just as a content tool but also as a workflow tool and and then a and then an ideation and brainstorming engine right and then it's going to help them because the younger people the work that they do will be at a higher quality all of a sudden so they won't have to be fixing the carburetor every day They'll be, ha they'll be having discussions like, this is good, but it needs more facts. Or this is good, but it misses the audience a little bit. Let's go back and really try to figure out who the audience is. So that's going to make their life more enjoyable, more enjoyable. Because, man, writing is a grind. And creating content is a grind. And getting turned down by the media is a grind, right? And so I think the people who have accepted it most are some of my most skilled writers because they're like me. They giggle when they see it produce good content because it's something they thought uh, – they know how hard it is to do, how really hard it is to create that. So in many ways, I think for the top, it's going to make their job a more joyful uh, uh, experience. It's going to allow the mid-level to produce at a much higher level, which will make that manager's job more joyful because you're going to get higher quality content – and work product that you don't have to constantly be tinkering with. And at the lowest level, I do worry about that. I worry about young kids coming into it. And if they don't take the time to really learn what the, what the basic pillars of communication are, they may never know how to get to that vacation spot, right? They may never know what good is. So I don't know how to figure that one out, but I do know that driving the bus on the top level can make for I think a, a, a career that's more satisfying and fulfilling, so, you know, as I go through my conversations with all my vice presidents and they show me some of the things they do, Ed, it is incredibly rewarding to see them produce at such a high level all of a sudden. I mean, you could, in essence, talk like an MBA uh, if you wanted to by simply using it to take concepts that are reserved for, you know, MBA school and applying them in the world of communications. And I've done that over and over again. I did a, I did a process where I had uh, the machine apply empathetic design. Before I started, I did not know what that meant, right? Mm -hmm. It's an MBA kind of term on a new product rollout. And it was masterful. You know, I had to do a SWOT analysis for a, for a client. And it was masterful. So, you know, if you can gain those kinds of, of new insights, um, I don't know if you're into learning and you have an inquisitive mind, this could yep. be, a, this feeds it forever, I believe. And before you go, can't let you out of here without uh, asking this question, especially somebody who's been in PR for, uh, for a couple of few, couple decades now. Um, how much does, do the reference materials matter in terms or, or, or are they, and, and the reason I asked that you, you mentioned wall street journal earlier, like I've been reading the New York Times since uh, since I can, so I was capable of reading the New York Times and and a few others. Are they going to matter more or less because of um, you know where this information is pulled from? 
you know, in theory, there's been some cases where AI is has actually, you know, written research papers and then made up the work cited page. Like the, the authors and the and the titles don't even exist. Is this going to make the old the, the gray lady and and the Wall Street Journal? Is this going to make them uh, even more important? I think it could. I think it could. I think when they train new models, right? I think there's going to be some sort of licensing. Uh, opportunity that they're going to enter into that will solve some of these issues that they'll, they'll, the New York Times will see revenue from the retraining of this, which would help uh, that it's coming from the New York Times instead of comments on Twitter, right? right. That, that's a much yep. more reliable kind of source. I think, though, it's always going to be up to the human to check the reliability and verify the accuracy of the information that comes in. And the more you can create really thoughtful prompts, the more you can assure it hallucinates when it when it starts to guess, right? When it when it relies solely on its on its algorithm. And I'll give you a quick example. You know, until recently, ChatGPT, I've not yet gotten the plugin that allows it to see the internet, so I can't speak to that. I wish I could. I feel like I'm being denied. But if you were to put in the Silicon Valley bank collapse, it says I don't know anything about that, right? I only know if till October of 2021. So if then you put in to ChatGPT that Silicon Valley Bank did collapse, right, it will spit out that it collapsed because of bad loans. And it hallucinated that. That's not why it collapsed. It was a mm. unicorn event. But every one of its algorithms associate bank collapses with bad loans, not with right. failure to hedge long-term uh, bonds, right? It does. Mm -hmm. it, that's that's a new phenomenon, or, or less, a more rare phenomenon. So it can easily slip by you. You can easily take it for granted when you see that it's so affirmative, and it's written so well that that you think that's the case. Now those are going to be solved, right? When when this is connected, ChatGPT and Bard is connected to the internet, and Bing is connected to the internet. But still, I mean, look if if. If you're producing content and writing and you rely on Google alone, you need to check every reference there anyway, right? You need right. to check every opportunity to come up with the most valid, uh, valid source. So in some ways, it really shouldn't change our workflow much when it comes to accuracy and authenticity, so – Greg, I just wanted to say uh, thanks again for your time. Where can people find find you online and, and learn more, which well, you is can, pretty uh, much your, your entire job, actually. Yeah, you can find me <laughs> anywhere. My name, it's Greg Matusky. I'm all over the internet, um, uh, gregoryfca.com. I'm listed there, www.gregoryfca.com. Please, my LinkedIn page, uh, I'm constantly publishing information that I think is interesting about um, AI. Some of it's crazy. Uh, this week, you know, every time I hear AI, I think of Alan Iverson kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> and it's you just, are you are based in Ardmore, Philadelphia, or Ardmore, Pennsylvania, am I, am right, I right outside of Philadelphia. <laughs> we have offices in New York, so and, and I was always a big AI fan from Alan Iverson. <laughs> I hear. Well, Greg, um, president and founder of Gregory FCA, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was fun, Ed.